Genesis chapter 39. I would invite you to join me in standing out of reverence and honor for God's word as we read our scripture text for this morning, which will be the entirety of Genesis chapter 39. And these are the words of God. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian who had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house, and he put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's household for the sake of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men were in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and he got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and he said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant, whom you have brought among us, came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and he fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. When the grass withers and the flowers fade. The Lord Let us pray.
Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we praise you and extol you for you are the great God above all gods and greatly to be praised and to be feared above all else. The God high and lofty who sits enthroned above the cherubim and yet you are the God who is with us, our Emmanuel, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray now that you would give us eyes to see, you would give us ears to hear, and that we might be rooted in Christ and built up in Christ and established in the faith. And we do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I may be deemed superstitious and even egotistical in regarding my freedom as the special act of divine providence in my favor. But from my earliest recollection was a deep conviction that slavery would not always hold me in its foul embrace. In the darkest hours of my career in slavery, this spirit of hope departed not from me, and this good spirit was from God. Well, friends, those are the eloquent words of the famous 19th century slave turned order, one Frederick Douglass. And I do love that quote because it so marvelously captures how, despite the foul embrace of slavery, Douglass was confident of better things. And even more love that he, he recognizes just how audacious it must sound for him to say out loud just how, how confident he is of his freedom while still a slave. And yet he was undeterred, for you heard him say he knew that God was with him. He knew that God's favor rested upon him even in the darkest of times. And we have the exact same in our story this morning in the life of a slave named Joseph. Because as we enter back into the narrative, you may well remember at this point in the story, Joseph has been betrayed by his own brothers. He has been sold as a slave. He is caught in the foul embrace of slavery, as Douglas said. And so then comes the question, is God with him? Will the favor of God be upon him? And so to answer that question, we will walk through the text in three simple headings, looking at the triumph of Joseph, firstly. Secondly, the temptation of Joseph. And then lastly, the tribulation of Joseph. But all of it in light of the very simple but very powerful truth that the Lord is present with the righteous. God is present with his people. And so firstly, looking at the triumph of Joseph... Verses 1 through 6. Now, just remember at this point in the story, it may well seem that those lofty dreams of Joseph, him ruling over his brothers, him reigning over his parents, are exactly that. They are lofty dreams, even naive dreams. Because if you look at verse 1, you see that not only is Joseph not in the promised land, not only is Joseph not with his family, but he has been pawned off from one hostile group to another hostile group in the Egyptians. Verse 1 says this, Potiphar had bought him from the Ishmaelites and brought him down there. And so by every human calculation, the sad story of the man betrayed by his brothers should conclude with the even sadder ending 
of him living out the rest of his days in woeful, abject slavery. I mean, just imagine the state of Joseph's soul at this point. Going from being the favored son, the coat of many colors, to now this shameful state of slavery. And how downcast his spirit would have been. And those dreams, those so-called revelations from God, ruling and reigning, now seem like, to use Douglas's term, egotistical ramblings. Delusions of grandeur, much more than they are the revelations of God. But, but, verse 2 throws a mighty wrench into all worldly wise expectation, doesn't it? Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Now when we read the Lord was with Joseph, that does not mean, well, yes, of course the Lord is with Joseph. God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. God is present with Joseph, just like he's present with everybody else in this story. No, 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 no. To read the Lord was with Joseph is to say God is covenantally present, particularly present, powerfully present in such a way to comfort, uphold, and to bless Joseph, his chosen one. And friends, let's ask at the outside, is there a greater privilege in the Christian life than this? Is there a higher joy than this? Is there a more to be sought for, more desirable experience in the Christian life than communion with the living God? What does Moses say? God, do not take us up from here unless you are with us. What does Joshua say? Be strong and courageous for the Lord is what? He is with you. What does Jesus commission the disciples with? Go, disciple the nations. Lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. If you're here this morning and not a Christian, perhaps you have formed the impression that Christianity is simply a list of, of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. And it reduces to some kind of moral code and, and little more than that. No, no, no. See here, the very heart of Christianity is an intimate fellowship, access, friendship with the living and true and personal God. Such was the life of Joseph. Now also notice the effect of God's presence is the prospering of Joseph. Verse 2, he became a successful man. In other words, because God is with him, therefore he prospers. And indeed, so conspicuous is this prosperity that even his pagan master has to sit up and take notice of what is going on in verse 3. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that God caused all his success. This is what God does to glorify himself and to grab the attention of the Gentiles. You might remember another figure, King Solomon, whom God blessed with such an abundance of wisdom that the queen of Sheba has to travel from afar to take note and to marvel at this great blessing. And you see a sprinkling of that here when Potiphar, as if he sits up and says, whoa, this God is not like my gods. Something very different is going on here. And so in light of that, verse 4 reads, Joseph finds favor in Potiphar's sight and attended him. Verse 5, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And so we're meant to ask the question, why are the Egyptians blessed? What is going on here? 
And to answer that, we can go as far back as to Abraham, that in Abraham, not just one nation, but all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Not just Israel, but in this case, overflowing even to pagan Egypt. This is God's promise. This is God's program of world dominion. That the earth will be full of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. And you have the preview of that here in his servant, Joseph. Even going from humiliation to exaltation in verse 6. Potiphar leaves all that he has in Joseph's charge and he has no concern over anything. So Joseph increases in favor not just with God but with all men. And we're reminded once again that as we look to Joseph, we look deeper still to the better Joseph, to the Lord Jesus Christ. That you remember Luke chapter 2, what is said of Jesus, that he increases in wisdom, stature, favor, not only with God, but with man. That he is sought out and is said to Jesus very early on, no one can do the things that you do unless what? Unless God is with him. That, of course, was only the beginning for Jesus and only the beginning for Joseph because let us now look at the temptation of Joseph in verse 7. Verse 7. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance and there is your alarm bell. There is the concern because it certainly tends to not go well for the attractive in the Old Testament, does it? Or at least you might say that beauty definitely seems more trouble than it's really worth. You can think of Joseph's own mother, Rachel. You could think of Abraham's wife, Sarah. We saw it last week with Tamar. You see it in the life of King David. And we could go on and on and on. But it just seems like their beauty is always seeming to, to, to court problems, to create trouble for them. And sure enough, here comes that trouble for Joseph in verse 7. After a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on him and says, lie with me. Now, just Remember to take fully into account where we are. God is with Joseph. God's favor rests upon Joseph. God has increased and he has prospered Joseph, elevating Joseph all to the glory of God. Therefore, it is in no way accidental that at this point in his life, here comes the seductions of Satan. Here comes the prince of darkness to entice Joseph. Throw it all away, Joseph. Disguised as dripping honey is this fatal attraction. The allurement, Joseph, you can have all the kingdoms of the world right now. Just take a bite of this fruit and come lie with me. We see once again the seed of the serpent coming to destroy the seed of the woman. And just notice deeper still, this is no one-time incident. No, 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 no. This was an unrelenting Satanic assault to moment by moment dismantle and destroy Joseph. Notice verse 10. Day after day, day after day, she is shooting these fiery arrows at his heart. And imagine deeper still the rationalizations that could have run through Joseph's mind. (laughs) Could have said, no one will know. And moreover, I've been so unloved. My family has sold me into slavery. Don't I deserve mine? Reuben did this. Judah did this. Moreover, in slave culture, this kind of thing is acceptable. This kind of thing happens all the time. And what about her? She's neglected in her own right, clearly by her husband. Doesn't she deserve hers? I mean, it would almost be 
unloving not to do this. And after all, Potiphar has put me in charge of everything. Everything means everything. Well, let's see if such rationalizations have any room in the heart of Joseph. As he responds to this deadly temptation, verse 8, notice firstly, he refused. Immediate rejection. He does not dip his toe in the water. He does not toy with it. He does not entertain it. He does not double-click on it. It is an immediate refutation of her inducement. Secondly, notice Joseph not only abhors what is evil, which is so often where we stop, he not only abhors what is evil, he also clings to what is good. Verse 8, he says this, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern over anything. My master has put everything in my charge. No one's greater than I because my master has not kept anything back from me. And here comes his main point. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against? And how would you fill in that blank? What would you put there? It's all so far been how generous, how kind Joseph's master is. His master is the generous one. His master is the one who promoted him. His master is the one who is his overseer. But he doesn't say that. He says, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And out of Joseph's heart comes his greatest treasure, the Lord God who is with him. It was John Owen who once said that the hatred of sin as sin and love for God is the key to all spiritual victory. And perhaps you can see what Owen was getting at. In other words, he's saying, because I love God so much, therefore I hate evil. I hate evil as I do because I love God so much and they're in relationship with one another. See, Joseph's preeminent reason is not if I commit this sin, just think of all the consequences. I could lose my promotion. I could lose my position. I could be imprisoned. More likely, I would be executed probably. No, Joseph's highest motivation above all else is the majesty of God. You can hear the preview of King David penning that 51st Psalm. Against you, O Lord, and you only have I sinned. That the righteous man knows that his greatest treasure, his greatest love above all else is the Lord God himself. Students take well note of Joseph. In light of Satan's temptations, particularly in the area of sexual temptation, Joseph, likely still a teenager, still young, but so learned, so wise in the fear of the Lord. And that is his victory against evil. So Joseph, he rejects the enticement. He raises up God, but lastly, Joseph runs. Verse 12, she caught him. A word, by the way, used for capturing prisoners. She caught him by his garment, but he left the garment and he fled and he got out of the house. Modern man would have us believe that in dangerous situations, we have this so-called fight or flight mechanism. That when confronted with danger, we will either fight for our lives or we will flee, but we are not going to do both. You can see here the biblical strategy is just the opposite. It is fight by flight. That if you want to win this fight, you are to run 
with a spirit-filled sprint that does not look back, to flee sexual immorality, that in our modern context, no doubt, it looks like leave the break room, exit the conversation, find a different place to go, give away the device, cut off the hand, whatever it is, find any and every way to flee sexual immorality. That was Joseph. And he bested his temptation for the Lord was with him. I do think there's even more at work here, though, in the life of Joseph than, than just this temptation. The Puritan Thomas Brooks once said that temptation is God's school where he shows his people the sweetest discoveries of God's love. No doubt Satan's aim here is to destroy Joseph, but God's aim is to school him in the ways of Christ. Psalm 105 says this of Joseph, that the word of the Lord tested him. So what is God up to? God is testing him. God is refining him. And why? I do think we're meant to see that the same kind of man who can flee this temptation is the same kind of man who can withstand a false accusation, is the same kind of man who can forgive his brothers for their treachery, is the same kind of man who when he's old and decrepit, he has not wavered concerning the promises of God and tells them, hey, take these old bones of you, take these old bones of mine, rather, with you, because I know that God will be faithful, for God is with the righteous. And so we're reminded yet again, as we look to Joseph, we look deeper still to the better Joseph, to the Lord Jesus Christ, who increased in favor with God and man, but only to be what? (laughs) Only to be led into the wilderness and to be tempted, not by a mistress, but tempted by Satan himself. And tempted not in his prosperity, but tempted in the height of his adversity. Fasting and in the wilderness and seemingly alone, the Lord Jesus is tempted, saying, Here you can have all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and none of the cross. And what does Jesus say? You shall serve the Lord God and him only. That was Joseph. And that is Jesus. Christian, you should know now, if you don't already, you have this adversary. You have this enemy. That the Christian life is one of conscripted warfare. But praise God, he does not send you out alone ever. For the Lord is present with the righteous to provide the way of escape that we might endure it. And so, Joseph endures his temptation. And yet things seem to only go from bad to worse. Because as his temptation ends, now his tribulation begins in the third portion of this text. As it often said, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And you see that unfolding as you scan verses 13 through 15. This plot begins to unfold rather rapidly. Potiphar's wife sees what's going on. He barely escapes the claws of this lioness. And now she starts thinking and churning. And she says, aha, I've got the garment. Here is evidence, or here is exhibit A as evidence against Joseph. And you see the great irony there. A robe, once a sign of such favor, now is a seal of his death. Verse 14, she politicizes it. She involves the whole household. Hey, this was meant as mockery against us, the Egyptian people. And then she thinks, I know who this will really infuriate. And the great Genesis blame game continues. 
Because when the husband comes home, you could hear her say, honey, guess what? This is the man that you brought into our house. In other words, you are the one responsible for this tragedy. And sure enough, verse 19, Potiphar's anger is very quickly kindled. Verse 20, he is summarily put in prison. Psalm 105 says this, his feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Talk about whiplash to the soul. You go from being a slave, you go from being second in command, then you go to being in prison. And isn't it interesting that Joseph's quick obedience only seems to make his conditions worse, not better. His faithfulness only seems to make things worse. Obedience has a way of doing that, doesn't it? Obedience so often is costly, so often does bring hardship. You can think of Moses as a quick example that Moses obeys God, does exactly what God says, going before Pharaoh, let my people go. And what is his complaint back to God? God, why did you ever send me? I mean, how human is that complaint? I am obeying you, so why are things getting worse? I'm sure we're all well familiar of the deformed theology that would claim that obedience should evaporate all hardship, all tribulation. And that the favor of God means the absence of all tribulation and that his presence means the absence of any difficulty. And so you could just imagine how tempting it would be for Joseph to say, God has left me. If I looked at my circumstances, is God still with me? I've recently become enthralled with a documentary of sorts that, that, that captures the challenge of survival in the wilderness, in the extreme wilderness. And it's got these contestants, these men and women who are separated from one another, and they're dropped off in these very remote, harsh conditions, and they're really left to see who can be the last man or woman standing sometimes going two to three months in complete isolation. And what has been so fascinating to hear is that how every contestant to a man or a woman, at the end of it, always seems to say, hey, the hardest thing about this is not the eating of slugs and bugs. It's not the fending off of wild animals. It's not the lack of sleep. The hardest thing about this is the haunting, unrelenting, demoralizing sensation that I am alone. I can't go on if I am alone. And how much more so is that true and vital in the Christian life? Are you alone? Is God with us? And just look at verse 21. But, as in despite all the tribulation, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. We're meant to see so clearly God's favor does not mean the absence of tribulation. It means that God himself is not absent in the tribulation. Because you can separate Joseph from his family. You can separate Joseph from his high position. You can throw all the accusations you want against Joseph but what you cannot do is separate Joseph from the love of God. That Hebrew word 
in verse 21. For love is that word we've seen so often, Hebrew word chesed, meaning God's covenantal love, his particular, peculiar, affectionate love for his people, underwritten by his very own character. And friends, do you know that believers in Christ have the exact same promise given to them? What can separate you from the love of God in Christ? Ask yourself that question. Ask that question before God. What could separate me from the love of God in Christ? And perhaps you say, well, don't worry, I've got answers. For one thing, my problems, my present problems. I got big ones, financial, health, marital, familial, relational, temptational. And that's just today. I've got future problems, job loss, health, loneliness, despair, Maybe even worst of all, the specter of death itself. And what is the Bible's answer? What is our covenant promise? Shall tribulation, shall distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. No, nothing can separate the believer from the love of God in Christ. My, how the circumstances have changed for Joseph. Bad to worse. But what has remained the constant The steady rock in his life is that the Lord is with him. And continues, as verse 21 says, giving him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. No weapon formed against Joseph shall prosper. And so it is for the church. No weapon formed against the church shall prosper. To take all the rages and ravages of hell, all the forces of darkness, all the malicious treatment, and the Lord Jesus Christ promises... None shall prevail. The gates of Hades will not prevail over my kingdom. As we're meant to see, as we begin to close, that though it may seem like the hero of the story is Joseph, and and no doubt Joseph is heroic, we're meant to see that the hero of the story is the favor that is upon Joseph, which is to say, our great and our almighty God who is with his people. Kids, Later on today, have yourself a wonderful Lord's Day and do this. Go outside and feel the grass beneath your feet and look up at the sky and look up at the sun. Not too long, but look up at the sun and think, wow, the God who commanded that sun to rise is the same God who is with me. And grown-ups, you're free to do so as well if you'd like. And so as we begin to close, let us lay up in our heart these three applications from the life of Joseph. Firstly, the providence of God. The providence of God. Providence, of course, is one of those mysterious words we throw around quite a bit, but it becomes particularly precious in these kind of moments. Certainly one thing to say and quite another to cling to it with every fiber of faith when you are wrongly imprisoned, as Joseph was. When the diagnosis reads terminal, when the job is lost, when the accusations are false, because to say God is providential is to say that he is directing, upholding, governing all things, everything for his glory and unto my good. Let me just read to you Heidelberg Catechism's most awesome expression of God's providence that reads like this, that God so governs that every leaf and blade Rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, 
health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed, all things come to us, not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. Do you see the unshakable hope that there is in the God who is providential? Joseph could sit in prison, he could sulk and say, man, I'm here by chance. Chance dealt me a bad deck of cards. Should have played it better, should have played it smarter. Should have not been so doggedly obedient, and then I wouldn't be in this prison. Or he could say, no, I am no victim of chance. Everything that has happened to me has come to me by God's fatherly hand. I'm in prison today by God's fatherly hand. And the God who is with me and whom I trust. That is providence. That is the God of providence. Secondly, the persecution of the righteous. Saul, of course, Joseph's obedience lands him nothing short of a prison sentence. And the outcome of his obedience is shackles and fetters. And so too for the Christian life. That it is granted to us not only to believe, but to suffer for righteousness' sake. But what is the promise? That by God's providence, all persecution is productive. All persecution is productive of the image of Christ in us. Satan's aim to destroy, overruled by God's purpose to shape us to be more and more like Christ. It was Thomas Watson who said that God's rod is his pencil to best draw the image of Christ upon you. And so Christian, in your tribulations, be it emotional, financial, relational, temptational, whatever it is, do not lose heart. And do not dare count it as a strange thing. And do not dare consider it as the favor of God departing from me. Do the Christian math and calculate it as your joy that God is refining you to be more steadfast today, more enduring today, more Christ-like today than you were yesterday. That is what the persecutions of the godly accomplish by the providential God. And lastly, the presence of the Lord. God is powerfully present with the righteous. No less than four times we read that the Lord was with Joseph. Whether in the mountain or whether in the valley, God was with him to prosper him in his way. Is there a greater joy than this? Is there a greater pearl than this? Is there a higher treasure than knowing that I am known by God as I know him? Is there anything more precious? Joseph, the favored son, tempted in many ways, wrongfully accused as his life goes down to the pit, but God was with him. And how is God with us? But through the very one whose name is God with us. Through our Emmanuel, the better Joseph, the one who is tempted in every way, the one falsely accused by the ones that he came to save, the one who was obedient even unto the point of death on a cross. And by the favor of God, he is risen and he lives forever. It is Christ through his spirit that is with us, for the Lord is present with the righteous. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we do praise you that you are the great God above all gods, that you alone are to be worshipped and adored as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
the God who was and is and who is to come. And so, Father, we pray as we have heard your word that by the power of your spirit, it would dwell richly in our hearts, that we would be ever more rooted in Christ and built up in him, that we would be able to resist all the schemes of the enemy, that we would be able to endure, and that we would be able to abound in the knowledge of the truth that you, the covenant-keeping God, are with us. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, and amen.